Hello, you are listening to Tales of Recovery. This is Gris Alves, your host. Thank you for hopping on. This podcast is the English version of the podcast offered to the abuelitas, all the grandmothers that I posted last week. And it's had really very interesting um, comments and reviews all from the ranges of, it was so beautiful, I love it, to, oh my gosh, if I ever said that, I would be dead, like my mom would write me up. But Will, I cannot believe you say these things. And, well, you know, my mom is dead, and so is my grandmother, and I do what the fuck I want, so I'm going to say these things. Of course, this is lots of love, but also in lots of awareness that it's kind of a privilege to be able to say these things and not care, because anyone can say them, but some of us are still, I suppose, held captive to many things, including me, but not about this topic. And so today I'm offering you this story in English now. I'm going to take off the headset because I believe you can, you can hear me. And so this is a story about a ceremony that I attended about I don't know, a few weeks ago, or maybe it was last weekend. And in this ceremony, we had a big altar for our, all of our ancestors. And you had to bring a picture of your ancestor or an object, or if you didn't, it didn't matter. It was just mainly the intention of you having a space where you intentionally showed up to work on honoring your ancestors. And then, of course, whatever else came up in ceremony. Um, and one of the things that I'm going to talk about today is my grandmother and she showed up in the ceremony. But prior to that, I'll give you a little history of my grandmother, Emma, whom we called Mia. So when I was little, I was, I'm the oldest of and of course she, usually it's the first grandchild that picks whatever name you're going to call the grandma, whatever you say or whatever you're able to say is what sticks. My grandmother was an artist a poet and she taught me how to call her she wanted me to call her abuela mia so grandmother of mine not my grandma but very poetically grandmother of mine right that's how this is how, how grandiose she was um or acted as if she was and we all thought she was and i think she was you know but some of other issues that i will for sure, uh, bring up in a second. So, Abuela Mia, Bella Mia, was what I was, what we called her. La Bella Mia, tu Bella Mia, tu Bella Mia. In the second round of children that came through, of grandchildren, the Bella fell through, and then everybody just called her Mia. Mine. Just kind of beautiful, actually. And so, my grandmother, Mia, mi abuela Mia, was a woman that was super, like, on point with fashion and her hair and beauty and you know always very um elegant very very elegant and I growing up was really scared of her like it, it wasn't the grandmother that you approached to snuggle in the sofa and have a cup of hot cocoa and you know watch telenovelas no way ever did we ever watch telenovelas because that was for just dumb dumbing you down I agree with that. Um, but, you know, that, she just wasn't that type of grandmother. She was the grandmother that had always like reunions and parties and, and people over and events and 
very fun, you know, camping and outside in the ranches and, and traveling. And, but it was very impactful on a little girl as me to think about how wherever I was around her, there was no way in hell you could mess up. You had to look perfect. You had to act perfect. You had to look beautiful, have your hair done perfect or whatever you were wearing, and then make sure she didn't upset her. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully she approved of something you did. Yes, this is my grandmother, Mia. This is the, this is what I felt as a kid when I was around her. And so we would go to her house in Mexicali every Christmas and and then later, when we moved to the border, we would go, of course, a lot more often. And here are some of the few memories that I have of her teaching me certain things. So, of course, when you would show up at her house, she always had like the tea parties, right, with all of these other older women there. And the tea parties, I'm sure, had tequila in the teapots or some other type of liquor. But we'd have to come in. And I don't know if I can explain this to you, but she had one of those huge houses, kind of like the Gone with the Wind houses, um, all beautiful tapestries and, you know, like very, um, I don't know, the decoration was just like, it seemed like you were in Europe somewhere. And all these ladies sitting in their, in their tables, right? She had like reunions with 20, 30 people. And of course, when we got there, my mom had us all dressed up, you know, hair slicked back with lemon because my mom didn't use gel, but you still pulled you. So, you know, you thought your hair was going to fall off. Your little dress or whatever outfit they made you wear specifically for going to grandma's house. It's not, it was not the usual attire, but for this, it was, you know, you had to wear something nice. <clears throat> and then as soon as we would walk in, they would say, okay, go say hi to everybody around the table, everybody around the living room. So we're talking like, you know, 20 old ladies that were all done up in their makeup and sitting straight up drinking their tea with whatever booze choice was in there and I remember having to walk up to them and saying hello how do you do and in Mexico you have to give a little kiss on the cheek as a greeting so you'd kiss the first little old lady and of course they smelled kind of weird and what could you do? You know, it's like flight or freeze or flight. I mean, you just had to, there was no option. There was no option for me. Go up there, give them a little kiss. How do you do? Oh, you're Griselita, the daughter of blah, blah, blah. Yes, thank you. Okay, move on to the next one who smelled a little weirder. Move on to the next one. And they would sometimes like stop and grab you by the waist and say, oh, look, she's going to be thin one. Oh, look at her hair. Oh, she's not that blonde, but her hair, you know, it's it's kind of nice and Oh, who does she look like? I think she has a mother's eyes. I think she has a father's nose. It was like, you're kind of walking around being shown like one of those, like, like a show, like a horse show, you know, like they're going to see how you're going to be when you grow up. Like, are you going to have a big body, a small body? She's probably going to be tall. She's probably going to be fat. And it was like this huge parade of walking around saying hello to all the grandmothers. And of course you could not by any means be rude or say, I don't really want to kiss you. I'd rather not touch you. Because then, you know, Mia would just, no. It wasn't even a concept that you could say, I don't really feel comfortable going around kissing everybody. You just have to do it. You just have to do it. It was just a thing, you know, and it didn't take long for me to figure out that when I went to grandma's house, I could go to the bathroom 
and take one of those little desenfriol, which was like a cold cough medicine, or one or two, and then you would just then you just go nap on the on the sofa and not think about it. Yeah, yeah. I was doing that since about 11, 12 years old. Until later in the years when you figured out that you could have a sip of those ladies' teas as well and get comfortable or numbed out enough to be able to sit through those freaking parties. And that was, you know, one of the one of the things that I really I hated that so much. Literally, when my kids were little, I'd say, you can walk into a room and wave from behind and go, hello, everybody. And you don't have to kiss or go near anyone, period. Just listen to your body. And that's how it's going to be. I know my mom was petrified because, you know, God forbid, how can my, you know, my grandmother, not my grandkid. But that's how it was, man. That's how it was. And so anyway, moving on when there wasn't any parties and we were just alone, my grandmother would sometimes, um, we'd sleep in my uncle's rooms because they had moved on to college or to get married. And there were all these little single beds. So sometimes she'd, she'd say, go make the bed. I would go make the bed and then she'd come check. And one of my very, very vivid memories was of her looking at the bed that I had made. I don't know, maybe I'm 12 years old, 11, 13, I don't know. And just ripping the sheet off, like, what is this? Taking the sheet off the bed and saying, this is not a proper way to make the bed. We have to pull the sheet. And she started pulling the sheet, pulling the sheet again, really, really super, super tight, really, really perfectly folded underneath the, you know, the cushion, the mattress, and then rotating it on top of the blanket and really, really sticking that blanket all the way. I mean, I'm telling you. You couldn't even get in there because it was so tight. And she told me, when your uncles were in the school, because they all went to um, military boarding school, they had to drop a penny or a quarter. And then the bed had to be made so tight that boom, the quarter had to bounce. So let's see if the quarter bounces. <laughs> and so she, you know, she bounced the quarter. And of course, it bounced. She made the bed. And I remember looking at her like, wow, I'm going to have to make this bed like perfect every time. And that was the homework. Like if that bed was not made perfect, not just the bed at her house, but at my house, even now in my house, (laughs) at my age, even now I have an Airbnb that we rent. And if that bed is not perfect, I, for the life of me, lose my shit. Um, And, you know, these, these, these little like neurotic uh, experiences were like so embedded in me. And one another story that grandmother Emma had is she would sit next to me and I was little too. And you know, in Mexico, they're very, very orient, detail oriented on what your face looks like, right? Like, do you have high bone structure? And do you have a thin nose? And do you have, you know, green or blue eyes? Because even if you're Mexican, the whiter and blonder you are, the better. Because, you know, the whole colonization thing and the whole, like, uh, Victorian, like, you have to be European. Nobody wants to be really Mexican. It was such major bullshit. And I would sit there, my grandmother sitting next to me, and she would literally turn my face to the side and say, let me look at your nose. And she would lift it up with her finger, like, well, if we did a little bit of this, like lifting up your nose and take a little bit of this bone out. I'm sure would get you one of those nice, slick, beautiful noses. And if we lifted up your lips here a little bit, because 
you know, my lips fell down, like a little bit of a wrist, uh, bitch, what is it called? <laughs> Resting bitch phase or something like that. So she would go in there and then she wouldn't even do it with her finger. She would grab like a pencil or a pen and just go in there and lift it up, right? Sitting next to me. And I would sit there petrified going, holy shit, I'm going to have to get this facial surgery. And I'm like 12 years old and would go back in the mirror after and look at my nose and look at my lips and find every little flaw available, comparing it to magazines. She was always looking at magazines. She was so funny. If there was a picture of my grandmother that she didn't like because her you know, her chin bone was out a little bit too far to the left or her nose was too wide, she would take a pen and she would color it in. And you could see, now you could see, like, if you look at the pictures, you could see she colored in a little bit of the nose or a little bit of the jawbone. Super, super highly self-critical. And, you know, another, another, on another occasion, I remember um, she, um, so she used to play the piano when she was young, you know, and I don't think, well, her family didn't really have that much money and she was the youngest of five, five children. So she didn't have, you know, she wasn't able to go to high school, much less college because, you know, there was no money. And so she played the piano. She played the piano so well that the piano teacher told her parents, and all of this is passed down by one of my uncles, so I'm assuming it's true. And she, they told her, listen, your daughter, man, she's, She's beyond good, so she can't really be staying here. So I'm not arguing to send her to Mexico City to the conservatory because she needs to continue to study because she really has a talent. And, well, they couldn't send her because, well, they didn't have enough money. Probably, even if they did, they wouldn't send her just because you're not going to do that to a girl in 1920-whatever the heck the age was, the year was. And then I remember one time my grandmother, my grandmother telling me a story that when she was little, she went out to the pueblo, to the townhouse, and they had a singing contest. And she went in and she signed up and she sang her heart out and she won the contest. Like she was so good. She came home and told her parents and all they did was shame her. My grandmother told me this story. They were like, how can you, you're not supposed to be out there singing. That's for vedettes and the cabaret people. And you're, you know, we don't do that. And instead of having them congratulate her for her, that she won this great prize for singing and a beautiful voice and an artist in creation and, you know, using your talents. No, shame to the ground. Like, you don't do that. Come on now. It was interesting that she told me this story because for so many years when I was, you know, in show business and singing. And my grandma, my mother would tell me at first, you can't sing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I can't watch me, bitch. I'm going to get signed and I'm going to do this. And I did. And I never understood why she would say that to me. Later on in the years, of course, she apologized and changed her mind. But I do remember now that I understand that, you know, this hurt stuff gets handed down and down and down by generations which is one of the beautiful things that happened at ceremony, which I'm going to get to in a second. But first, let me continue with this story of the singing and the impact of when your dreams and when your creativity is shamed and shut down, then you tend to shame and shut it down, not just for yourself, but for those that are coming behind you or that are next to you. One of the parties that I'm telling you about that my grandparents had, I was much older 
And it was a huge outdoors party. They had a little jazz band, like New Orleans trio playing great music. Everybody was out there having a wonderful time and drinking and chatting it up and dancing. And I walked by the by the band and I had a really good, really beautiful, powerful jazz instructor teacher. His name was Chaka Uba. And we did jazz shows with him. So I'm sitting there with the band and I'm like, oh, do you guys know um, a Billie Holiday uh, song? You know, All of Me. Though. Yeah, yeah, you want to sing it? I'm like, sure. I remember getting up there and just start singing the song. You know, people turn around like, oh, there she is singing. And I'm just singing, having a great time. All of me. You know? And then I look in the middle of all of these people is my grandmother looking at me literally with her hand on her face, like opening up an eye, like barely her eye, like she was covering her face. Her hands were like in shock and just moving enough so that she could just see me. But I I could see how embarrassed she was. I could see the shame. And I thought, I didn't realize then that it was her own embarrassment, right? Because I was like, well, Everybody else is fine with it. I'm having fun. What's your problem? But it was such a direct message of, girl, what are you doing up there? Like, stop singing. Of course, I kept on singing. I finished the song. I was older then. I wasn't that frozen anymore. But I always thought about that. Like, damn, grandma, what the hell? Because after I sang, guess what? Everybody else in the family got up there and did a show. And as as the years went by, she started to soften up a bit and... Um, but it was still, it took so long for her to be, for me at least, to be able to see her softness. Because another thing, you know, that that she would always be so strict on your weight. I remember when I was 19 years old, I went overseas to school. And in one of those, uh, I was there for 12 months. And at one point, my grandparents flew in to Spain and they invited me to go visit them for a week. And I remember my mom calling me or I called my mom because there wasn't any cell phones. And she's like, okay, your grandparents are coming in. You're going to go visit them. Are you ready? Like you have your outfits ready. Are you? And I was like, what the hell? I'm like 20 pounds overweight. I've been here in Europe eating baguettes and drinking wine and Nutella crepes for the whole fucking year. I cannot believe I have to go see them. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. That was the main concern for me is they're going to see that I gained 20 pounds. And I went to the store and I found this like really kind of um, baggy little overall with all these beautiful flowers. It was really soft colors. And I thought, I'll just wear this and then my jeans and then a big little shirt on top. I don't know what I'm going to do. That was, I was so worried about them seeing me. 20 pounds overweight. And I'm a tall girl. I mean, you can't really tell that much, but I knew and I knew she would know. And I remember arriving at the airport with my overalls that were really pretty and purpley. And the first thing my grandmother, my grandfather actually said to me was, hello, fatty. <laughs> and, you know, he had such a way of being funny and sweet, even in that, that comment that I was like, oh, fuck, they know the overall isn't working. I'm screwed. And my grandmother said, okay, well, she didn't say anything. At first, we got to the hotel. They, they were like, here's your room. Be ready in about an hour because we're going to go get you some real clothes because we have all these. We were going to go to the theater and a couple of fancy restaurants. And, of course, I couldn't wear my <laughs> my beautifully picked overall to hide my 20 pounds or whatever many pounds I was overweight. 
And we went to the store, my grandma, my grandparents and I, and, you know, we picked like, I remember it was like a navy blue long skirt with a shirt and like a little vest and then another outfit. It was just two and two outfits, switch around for whatever activities that were going to be fancy for the week. And so I'm trying on the skirt. Of course, it's a bigger size than I'm usually wearing. And I'm putting on the vest and I'm like, oh, God, this is the most horrible outfit. But it's, you, it was like, it was still impossible to say, can we not do this? Can I just wear what I want? Cowboy boots? Who cares? We're in Madrid. No. It was still ingrained in me that you just do not go there with Mia. So I tried the outfits on, kept my mouth shut. thought, well, you know, whatever. I might be able to wear them one day to work or to a wedding or I don't know. She turned around as I'm putting these on and looked at the lady that was helping us. And it's not like she had asked if I had gained weight or if I had complained about it. She just barely just told the lady like, oh, these are going to be taken in when she goes home. Just so that you're aware of. She's usually two sizes down and they're going to be able to take these in and um, make them smaller. And the assistant just looked at me and she was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, I just remember sitting there going, well, who even asked for this information? Like, but, you know, it was like, that's just, that's how concerned she was with it. <laughs> she didn't want the assistant lady to even think or know that I was actually, this was not my usual weight. Good Lord. I think I lost 10 pounds in that one week that I was with her because when the bread guy came by, oh, she won't be having any bread. Oh, she won't be having any wine. Oh, she won't be having any dessert. So, you know, if you needed to lose weight, you just go hang out for one week with your Emma, Emma, Abuela Mia, Mia, because that was it. She had the discipline. She kept making me drink water, water, water. Oh, it was a beautiful trip. I mean, I had so much fun. And then I would, you know, I would go back and forth and stay sometimes at their house and, and travel with them to LA. And I mean, when she passed away, it was interesting because I realized I'm the one that got to spend the most time with her. Had a lot of like different experiences with her. And towards the end, like when I had my baby, um, you know, she was super blonde, my daughter. <laughs> she was just white, white. Her grandmother's from, you know, she just has blue eyes and very white. And I remember my grandmother being like, oh, this is a beautiful baby. It has green eyes. And I thought, oh, approval. She approves of me. The baby is blonde and has blue eyes. And I'm in the in-club now. I'm in the in-club, you know. And Of course, there were other reasons that way she liked her. But that was just, it's just I'm trying to make a point here of how impactful these beliefs are and they're just not really rooted in love they're rooted in colonialism and classism and just bullshit and another time that she finally I think I got approval from her was at one time well first I'm going to say this when I was younger and I was playing the piano at her house because I my mom took my piano since I played a little piano I remember sitting in her in their um in their living room playing this piano, playing a song. And she walked by and I really wasn't aware that she was there. I was just like, I'm in here playing the piano. And she put her hand on my, on my shoulder and she said, you're playing that really beautifully, Mijita. It sounds so soft and lovely. And I just remember my body melting away like, oh, wow. I'm going to keep on playing. 
because, you know, it was just such a beautiful affirmation of love. And like, that sounds really beautiful and so powerful. To this day, I remember that moment just as much as I remember the other moments, which was trying to give me a freaking nose job. Oh, one time I got my haircut and I had these little bangs that I just thought were super cute. And I came to her house with my bangs. I'm all excited. And the first thing she does is like, why in the hell, why are you getting some bangs? She grabbed the bangs, put them over to the side and put a big horrible bobby pin in there. And I remember sitting there petrified. Like I went into the bathroom and cried because I had this bobby pin and I was like, the courage off. And I remember thinking, what the hell, mom? Why don't you tell her to leave your kid alone and to leave her bangs if she freaking wants the bangs? But I guess my mom was even more frozen than I was, you know? Um, And then, okay, so then jump forward to like, I'm already in my 40s. And I decided for the first time ever to get, my friend convinced me that I had to get Botox because I had like this little um, wrinkle in the middle of my forehead. And I was like, no, no, no. We do everything natural and organic. I'm trying to be healthy. I can't put Botox in my forehead. And she convinced me that it wasn't a big deal, that nothing was going to happen. And so I ended up going in with her to the dermatologist and getting a little shot of Botox in my forehead. And lo and behold, four days later, it looked like I had been asleep for months and just so rested. And I loved it. I was like, wow. This is crazy. And I went to my grandmother's house for another reunion because that's all we did is get together and eat food and hang out and lots of beautiful family gatherings, which was you know, one of the good things about all of this. She looked at me and she's like, Can you see Stimmy? What did you do? I mean, you look amazing. I was like, Well, grandma, I got a little Botox. Because of course, my grandmother had like two or three facelifts, you know, it was all about looking as young and as close to Elizabeth Taylor as possible. And she looked at me and it was like, oh, muy bien, mija. Very, very good. It looks amazing. I remember again feeling this surge of like, oh, approval from the grandma. And um, she's like, whenever you want to get it again, let me know. I will pay for it. And then she says, and if your sister wants some, tell her that I'll pay for hers too. <laughs> um, I mean, she just knew how to punch those in there. And it was, um, she was just funny like that. You know, she was just funny, like a mean kind of funny. I mean, now I think it's funny. I didn't think it was funny when I was 10 years old, but eventually, you know, you just get, I mean, I grew up and I just figured out, you know, I don't have to put up with this shit. I was in, you know, a lot of recovery meetings and therapy and whatever. And I was able to see her for who she was, see the love that she was trying to transmit. And at the same point, set some really good boundaries. Like, no, you're not going to call my baby fat. Because one time she called my daughter fat and Paula wasn't even one year old. And she looked at me and she's like, you know, so we lived at her for a few months while our house was getting, um, where we were having a house being built. And she was like, all about Paula. I mean, she loved her and set up the corral for her to play with. And everything was about Paula Alejandra, Paula Alejandra. And at one point she tells me, is she a little bit on the chubby side? Like, is she a little fat? And I nursed my babies till like, you know, 13 months. And so my babies looked like Vikings, but they were not. They were strong, powerful babies. And I remember going up to her and saying, if you ever call my child fat again 
I will not bring, actually, you know what? I didn't threaten her. All I said is, don't you ever, ever, I don't ever want to hear you say in front of me and in front of her that she's fat. My child is strong. She's nourished. and She is not fat. And if you say that again, I don't ever want to hear you saying that again. She just said, like, you know, surprise, like, what? Who? You're standing up to me? You know, mommy dearest? And she was like, well, okay, then. She turned around, but she couldn't stand it, right? She couldn't stand it. And she turned to me and said, just don't give her in too many potato chips. Almost flicking her hair, you know? And I like that now. Even now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, that's where I get some of my sassy badassness from. Um, but, you know, I, I have to say, I'm like, you're not going to call my daughter that. That's ridiculous. One other time, you know, I had Jean, I was going to go meet Paula's dad before the baby. I was going to go meet his parents because we were dating. And I, I'm leaving. She sees me leaving. I think I was also staying at her house that, that weekend. And I have big holes in my jeans. I mean, it was the 90s. Everyone had holes in their jeans. She looks at me like, you can't go meet her, their parents with holes in their jeans. I was like, you know, here's another boundary moment. I'm going to go meet them with whatever I want to wear. And if they don't like me because of what I'm wearing, then they can go suck it. Because I am not going to fake it and dress up as something else that I am not just so that they approve of me. I'm hanging out with her son, and if they like it, good, and if they don't, too bad, so sad. That time, she didn't have a comeback or anything to say. She was just like, okay, well, you know, just turn around and walked away. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we were friendlier, of course. You know, I was always, towards the end of her life, was just way different. I guess people, we just soften as the years go by, and you're just, all that energy is just transmuted into something else or maybe she was just sadder because my grandfather had died I don't know but um I'm in this ceremony and one of the ladies say by the way this is of course this is a this is a medicine ceremony where where you you know you took Nino Santo psilocybin the magic mushrooms this beautiful medicine that opens up your heart and it's just amazing so many um, opportunities to heal of course in the set and setting that's contained and you're being held and this was a ceremony for people that actually you know that are that are offering spaces to heal and that are offering medicine to heal and that are doing retreats so it was a very safe space I went there with other beautiful people that are also in this journey of offering you know ancestral medicine and different healing modalities and as I'm in there in this journey of mushrooms, at first, you know, there's music and there's just, when you're getting into this medicine, there's just colors and sensations and beautiful and also scary moments because you are doing some shadow work. And one of the, in one moment, there, you know, there's people playing the music, there's drumming and they're singing and there's a fire and there's a big bowl of tobacco and you walk up to the fire the, this tobacco so that you can take a little bit of the tobacco offer it into the fire and it's like a prayer right as the tobacco burns and the smoke comes up towards the heavens there goes your prayer to the other realms for people to know and for you to really have the intention of gratitude and of offering these prayers to the ancestors 
And I remember being able enough to walk over to the fire and saying, okay, I'm going to take some of this tobacco, pour it into the fire and thank all of my ancestors. And I go up there, I'm sitting in front of the fire, I'm meditating, I'm breathing, I'm taking the tobacco, I'm throwing it in there, thanking my grandfather for all the work he did, for all of the, you know, the support he gave everyone in the family always, regardless of the strict rules and expectations, they were always there for you. Thanking my other grandfather, my dad's dad, just for their, you know, the opportunities that they gave us to, to always be out in the ranches and riding horses and out in nature and camping and just thanking them for their lineage. And I was just thanking and thanking my grandfather's grandfathers. And then I go and I lay down and I'm listening to the drumming. And all of a sudden I like, I hear and I sense the presence of my grandmother. Like, Hey, what about me? I was like, what the, what's going on? I thought, Oh my gosh. Yes, what about her? Like I go up there and I think, abuelo and the other abuelo and the other abuelo, and what about the woman? And like, like holy shit, this Patrick, you think no matter how much you fight against it, it's like, keeps on giving. What about all the matriarchs? What about all the grandmothers? And I was like, yes, I'm sorry, the grandmothers. Thank you, grandmother. Thank you, great grandmother. Thank you, great, great, great grandmothers. And I remember I had just seen a picture of my grandmother with all of her sisters and her mom about a week before the ceremony, one of my other aunts sent it to me. And I remember looking at, I mean, my grandmother was like 11, 10 years old, the short hair. She looked great. She looked like she was having fun, you know, before you hit that, you know, puberty age, when then you were fucking screwed because then you had to do the woman thing, but it was when you were still able to play as a kid. And then her mom, with her shirt knitted all the way up to the top and this kind of like constricting hat and she was all in black well actually I don't know if she was all in black it was a black and white picture it could have been another color but um it was a dark color she just didn't look too happy and I remember a lot of my uncles and uncles and aunts and older family was always super mean just Manina was just mean and I thought how interesting when I'm sitting there in the ceremony with the drumming, I just began to sing a song for them. And it's, and it's difficult to explain when you haven't journeyed with um, this beautiful plant medicine, but I'll try my best to, you know, kind of tell you how it happened, but you're in this sensation in the body where you're kind of in and out of the reality realm of just 3d but you're still in your body really feeling this medicine of the heart, a sensation of pleasure and excitement and a little bit of fear and just going in and out. And as you're breathing, I just began to sing a song and really felt this gratitude and this understanding for my grandmother, for Mia. I just thought, thank you for your strength. Thank you for the discipline of knowing how to make everything look beautiful and aesthetically pleasing. And thank you for the piano music and thank you for all of the gatherings. And then I just began to understand as I gave thanks, I understand, like, I know why you were so hard on yourself and on my mother and on me, because that hardship was a way of survival. And you didn't get to sit in mushroom ceremony. You didn't get to process this grief and this trauma 
in your cellular body and the memories of your muscles because you that's just not where you were it was completely colonialized it was like you don't want to be anything to do with your ancestors you know your indigenous roots because of the whole survival mechanism thing if you want to be more european than mexican that's why you drank and that's why everybody was drinking alcohol because it was so much pain and so much hardship and so many emotions that you weren't able to feel or process like that freezing mode that i had when i was little and i had to go say hello to all these old ladies that smelled like old ladies like Aaron. Oh, good Lord. I hope I don't smell like that when I'm old lady. I'm going to pour all the serenity and lavender oils on me every day. But um, in that freeze mode that I was able to, to, to break through because of recovery meetings, because of therapy, because of women's circles, because of mentoring, because of retreats, because of these plant medicines, that I was able to get to a point where I softened into it. I don't think you had that in either the Mama Nina and neither the Mommy and neither the, all these other women that were just, you know, drinking and popping pills just to be able to stand in their skin and not go crazy. And maybe that's why you guys were so mean at times. And I just, in this medicine, began to understand. And I remember as I was singing that this is what I'm doing as I'm feeling this in my body. And as I'm allowing this understanding beyond forgiveness. It's beyond, I don't even like the word forgiving. I like the word understanding because then you know and you're in a different point of perspective and knowing. And I just knew, I just was like, as I felt this in my body, like I was healing her and her mom and all these other moms. And we heal seven generations up and seven generations down. And as I was feeling the sense of gratitude, I just could not stop singing. And feeling this pleasure that maybe they weren't able to feel in this way. I'm sure they felt in other ways. But also so grateful for all of that we have now because they paved the way for us to have choice and freedom. And, of course, lots of other women did, but they were so strong. And I didn't realize until that moment, like, you guys were angry. I mean, so many of our grandmothers Maybe married some dude they didn't even want to marry just because how else were you going to survive? How else were you going to pay the bills? And maybe you wanted to, you know, go mess around with some other guy here and there, some other girl, but you couldn't. But of course, the man could. That was okay. You just have to sit there as a woman and just eat shit and not say anything because, well, if you leave, then you have to figure out how you're going to pay for a mortgage and the kids and their schools and the cars. And I know women that are still doing that. We have so much more opportunity now than they ever did. And all of that was just felt in my bones, in my heart, in every single inch of my body and my skin. I was just understanding and so grateful for this opportunity to heal in the ancestral realms. Because it's not always that you get to do it here in person. And it doesn't matter if you died and you didn't, if they died and you, you know, and you weren't like, you know, you had some shit you still had to deal with and you didn't say, you can still say it to them. You can still feel it in your body. You can still go in these realms of ceremony and understand that this is an ongoing journey of healing and of expanding of love and of understanding. And from there, 
I can choose, we can choose to do different and to soften and to allow love to flow through and to see other women in love instead of competition and hardship and like who's got the better nose, who's, you know, married the richest guy and all that dumb shit. And just like come into community like we used to before this competition through patriarchy and toxic religions came in and fucked it all up. And yeah, so I really, you know, this, this, this situation that I was in singing and just enjoying all of this healing coming through was, um, was just so refreshing for me to see and so beautiful. And then I thought, well, wow, I see all these grandmothers and literally like sense them. And then I thought after a while, like, well, where's my mom? Like, I don't really, you know, how come I'm not seeing her? Like, I think, and all of a sudden I just realized, like, I took a deep breath and I thought, oh my gosh, it's because I am my mom. She's inside of me. I didn't need to, like, I think I did so, we, my mom and I did so much work and of reconciliation and understanding and healing before she died, that it was just so beautiful to sense that she was actually inside of me. They're all inside of us. I mean, we were inside of them way before we were born, you know, in their ovaries, in their eggs, in your grandmother's eggs and your great-grandmother's eggs. And then, and then now, you know, down through, you know, you're born and then your daughters and on and on. And I just, I just felt it. And, you know, I've been in other ceremonies where mom clearly showed up, especially before she died, when I had to understand, you know, that it was coming. And then I knew it was more of like, yes, you've been knowing you're right. She's going to die. Um, but in this situation, two years later, and I'm releasing this podcast today because tomorrow is her birthday. She would have been 77, I think. Yeah. And I felt her and I still feel her. It's like an interesting concept because even in the little cartoons, you know, like the Lion King, he lives in you, you know, when they're telling him that the Lion King lives inside of him. It's a very powerful, actual, I believe, true concept. They do live in us, the grandparents, the ancestors. And to go and reconcile and understand where they came from so that, you know, you can allow this space for understanding and then redoing it. We get to redo, we're redoing this. We're like rewiring it. And I, and I had such a beautiful experience that, you know, two or three days later, I got an aggressive comment by this one friend of mine. And I was like, man, that's exactly what we're not supposed to be doing is these aggressive comments. And it was just, that's, that's just her pain and her unprocessed understanding. And, and so I suppose the movement, the invitation behind this podcast is to do the work and allow for this softness and this understanding to reconcile what we don't like about our mothers and our grandmothers and to really look at it because we're doing it again. If you don't freaking process it, you're repeating it and we're dishing it out to our daughters, to our sons, to our friends, because we're not aware of it. We're just kind of avoiding it, drinking and popping the pills like they used to do. And it's not that complicated. It's intense. Yes, you have to swim through the mud. But it's a simple process that tons and tons and tons of humans have done. So I encourage you 
you know, to do the work, to go and meditate with your ancestors, with your, with your mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and all those people that maybe raised you or that didn't raise you and understand where they're coming from. So you can then, you know, find this wholeness or at least walk towards it. And so that we're not dishing it out. And so that we're moving towards the direction of love in a bigger, more powerful manner. And the ceremony was amazing. And I'm so grateful for these opportunities. And thank you guys for listening. If you're interested, of course, reach out. Because there's a lot of beautiful people offering ceremony and safe spaces. Beware. Beware of who you go sit with. Because not everybody's done the work. And Sometimes it ends up being more harmful than more than not. And I mean, the medicine is going to do what it's going to do. But, you know, we meditate, practice movement, take care of your body and find someone that's safe and has done the work prior to just you throwing yourself in there to the wolves. <laughs> so thank you for listening to Tales of Recovery. Share, subscribe, leave me a comment. I love to hear your feedback. And I'm going to leave you, just like I did with the Spanish podcast, with a song that I recorded specifically for my grandmother. It's in Spanish. And I'm not going to record it in English because I don't know. I'd have to translate it and re record it. But it's called La Flor de la Canela, the flower of the cinnamon plant, the cinnamon tree. And this is right at you. Abuela Mia, for you and for all that you've given us, for all that you offer to me and for the beautiful legacy that, uh, that I have because of you. La Flor de la Canela. <laughs>